morning. Let's pray to begin. Oh, dear Lord God, we thank you. Um, We thank you for giving us your very self when you gave us Jesus. And we ask that right now as we spend this time studying his name, that name that you gave him, we ask that you would draw us ever nearer to him in faith. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So for those of you who were here last week, you'll remember I titled last week was sort of part one, and this is sort of part two, loosely. Last week, if you were here, you'll remember I I titled it, um, What's in a Name? And if you'll recall, we watched this lovely scene that I won't make you watch again, even though I could watch it countless times, from Franco Zeffirelli's uh, Romeo and Juliet, where you see Juliet in the balcony, and she's saying that famous speech, oh, Romeo, Romeo, right? Remember? And what she goes on to say about Romeo is that if only his name were a different name, if only his name were not Montague, then they would be happily ever after. And she says, oh, get rid of your name and it will be just the same. Um, without your name, uh, you, you, she likens him to a rose. A rose by any other name would smell as sweet. So she's sort of downplaying the importance and the meaning of names. And yet, if you were to take the play as a whole, and I said this last week, you would see that, in fact, a name is not so easily thrown off. And they both seek to um, distance themselves from their family names, those rival families, Montague and Capulet, so that they can live happily ever after. And as we all know, it ends tragically. They're not able to shed themselves of their names because their names are so much a part of their identity. And so we use that as a jumping off point to look at the name of God himself, which he reveals. And we have, you know, we have so many titles for God, um, Lord and God. And um, throughout scripture, it's almighty God, Lord, most high God of hosts. There are all sorts of names throughout um, the Hebrew scriptures to talk about God. And yet the name that he gives to Moses when Moses says, well, who shall I tell the Israelites? has sent, what will I say to them? Who are you? And what will I say to them? And he says, well, tell them that Yahweh has sent you. And he gives Moses his name, that name Yahweh, I am who I am, or with that future sense of I will be who I will be, or I was who I was, that sense of past, present, and future, all contained within this one verb as a name. And so that sense of Yahweh and his eternity, his transcendence, his wonderful lordship and sovereignty is present in the name. And then he goes on in Exodus 34 to talk about the very content of what that means. And he reveals himself not just as the eternal and sovereign one, but also in Exodus 34, he says to Moses, he gets this this little exposition of his name, that he is merciful, compassionate that he has steadfast love for his people. And so that idea of God's compassion and his mercy, his nearness to us, is also present in the name Yahweh. So we looked at that. The name Yahweh cannot be taken away from our God. It is um, such an integral part of who he is that when we say that name, we are encompassing all of his character, all of his um, divinity, his sovereignty, his lordship, and then also his compassion and his mercy. So, um, of course, we'll see that this week as well, when we focus on Jesus, 
Jesus' own name is something that you cannot take away from who he is. His name is tied up into his very person and his work, and we'll see this. Um, and I'd just like to go personal here and say that I actually, you all know my name is Deborah, and from the very beginning, my name, believe it or not, means be in Hebrew. Yes, buzz. And <laughs> so if you see me flitting around, it's because I'm, I'm a busy bee. And that's just right on my name. And, it, and it's, so, it's been so wonderful for me because I've found, oh, yeah, I am kind of like that. Or um, I see that my name gets tied up in some ways into my sense of identity and my sense of purpose. Um, and so it might be that. That might be the case for you as well. Or for your children, when you've named your t- children and given them intentionally and prayerfully a specific name. Well, Jesus' name... Where does Jesus' name come from? Well, Jesus' name is uh, Jesus in the Greek, or um, it's the Greek is the Hebrew version of Yeshua, which is the shortened form of Yehoshua or Joshua. Remember that um, successor of Moses back in the Pentateuch? He, he's there all throughout the giving of the law and all the battles, and then he is the one that leads the people of Israel into the promised land. Um, and that name, Yehoshua or Joshua, means Yahweh saves. God saves. Jesus' name is God saves. How interesting that God would give him this name, that he would desire to call him Yahweh saves. What do you think God is trying to say through Jesus' own name? Well, we know that Jesus' name, too, was something that the angel Gabriel gave to Mary when he announced to her that she would give birth to a boy. He announced to her that um, she would become pregnant and that she would give birth to a boy and that she was to call his name Jesus. And, of course, that same angel revealed the same thing to Matthew. Or in Matthew, we see he revealed it to Joseph, excuse me, Mary's husband, so that Joseph would know what to call this little baby boy. So Jesus has this name given to him by God himself. So there's some significance in that. There's a lot of significance in that. But one of the nuts and bolts facts about this name is that throughout the first century, you'll see that there are at least 20 men recorded in the historian Josephus's account that all have the name Jesus. And 10 of those lived at the same time as Jesus of Nazareth. So the name Jesus is as common as our name John or Thomas or, um, and they didn't have last names back then. So you see so many Jesuses all around. And that's why when, um, when the newspapers want to tell us that there's, um, oh, they found the tomb of Jesus in the Middle East, you know, in Palestine, they found it. It says, here lies Jesus. We know that there are so many Jesuses around the first century in Palestine that we know in confidence that that is not our Jesus. That's not Jesus of Nazareth. Just finding a tomb with the name Jesus does not mean that it's our Jesus. There was a recent occurrence where that actually happened, and it's thought that it probably was the historical evidence points away from it being Jesus of Nazareth. There were just so many Jesuses around in the first century, and yet... Of course, our Jesus is different. But you'll see that as time went on, after the first century, people stopped using the name Jesus. 
The Jewish people stopped naming all their boys Jesus um, because Jesus of Nazareth was too famous and they didn't want them to be associated with him. And Christians, out of reverence, stopped using the name. So that's why we don't find it as a common name today. Um, But it is still the name. It's the name of Jesus. And there's this wonderful... um, I'm going to show you. I wanted to do um, Olivia Hussey again. I wanted to show you a, a little clip from Olivia Hussey um, doing, um, remember, in Franco Zeffirelli's other film, Jesus of Nazareth. If you were a nerd like me and your parents made you watch all of Jesus of Nazareth, then you will remember that the same actress that played Julia in Romeo and Julia, in that version of Romeo and Julia, also played Mary in Jesus of Nazareth. And it is, I can't show it to you today because it doesn't actually have the name of Jesus in it. I'm too much of a stickler to the facts. But it is so beautiful. I encourage you to go home and Google it or look for it on YouTube because it's this stunning picture of this young innocence, this beautiful Mary um, receiving the news that she would in fact bear the Savior of her people and of the whole world. It's a stunning scene. This scene is something like it. This is from the nativity story, which a good friend of mine encouraged me to see recently because she knew that I'm into Jesus films. I just am a little outdated in my preferences. So this is a more recent Jesus film, and you'll see here the Annunciation. The Lord is with you. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Come, you will conceive in your womb and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. How can this be, since I've been with no man? The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power from the Most High will overshadow you. And the Holy Offspring shall be called the Son of God. Son of God. Mary, even your cousin Elizabeth, has conceived a son in her old age. For nothing said by God can be impossible. Let it be done to me, according to your word. news 
that she would bear a son and that the son's name would be called Jesus. God himself is telling her through his messenger that his son would be called Jesus. And we have there in that annunciation, that announcement to Mary, almost like a parallel with what we talked about last week. I don't know if you remember that God first reveals his name to Moses from the burning bush. There's this sense of supernatural activity, a supernatural occurrence. I love how this director decided to show the bird like the dove of the Holy Spirit and then the man appearing. Often in Scripture you see angels and it says one like a man, but not a man. And this director did a good job of showing that man who was not a man. And so we see that, um, that this experience of the Annunciation to Mary parallels the self-revelation of God, his, um, his revealing of his, of his own name, which is a, an entry point into relationship with him. Don't we see that in our own relationships with each other, that um, when we tell each other something about ourselves, even something that no one else knows, when we communicate that to our spouse or to a friend, there is a depth of relationship that we enter into. There's a sense of trust. There's a sense of personability, that we are individual persons with very real stories. And by sharing those stories with each other, we get to know each other. So that God, in revealing his name to Moses, was saying, get to know me. This is what I'm like. And then here again, in revealing to Mary the name Jesus, by which her son and his son would be called, he is revealing to her and to those first followers of Jesus and to us today a little bit about who he is. In fact, a lot about who he is. He is inviting us into relationship with himself. And so we see that, um, as, again, like I said, Mary's name is told to, uh, or Joseph's name, is, uh, Jesus' name is told to Mary and to Joseph. And we'll see all throughout the Gospels that um, we don't see the title for Jesus that we use very often today. We don't see Jesus Christ his full name, his name and his title put together until later. In the Gospels, they identify Jesus or very specifically Jesus of Nazareth because they didn't have last names. They had to identify, well, which Jesus? Well, the Jesus who comes from the town of Nazareth. It's not until we get to the Acts of the Apostles that we begin to see those early believers in Jesus following his resurrection using words like Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, or our Lord Jesus Christ. And those terms, that's not just his name, but that's also his title. And so we, you know, we often forget that Christ is the title by which Jesus was addressed and called a title of respect and a title of acknowledgement. Basically, by saying Jesus Christ, we are acknowledging that Jesus of Nazareth is, in fact, the expected Messiah of the Jewish people. Christos, or Christ, as we translate it, is actually a translation of the Hebrew word Messiah, or Messiah, as we say it, or anointed one. The word was used of the, of the kings and the patriarchs in the Old Testament, and then it was used of that expected coming one, great David's greater son. And so we see that by saying Jesus Christ, the first disciples are acknowledging that Jesus is the one, the long-expected one, 
the one who who would and in fact did redeem his people from their sins. And so for us, for those then and then also for us, we find that there are all these phrases throughout the New Testament that describe what it's like to be a Christian. And they're all in relationship with Jesus' very name. How interesting that we say we, we believe, we believe in his name, and then we are called by his name. Um, we're saved uh, by believing in his name and calling on his name. We're justified. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are baptized. We're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as Jesus says in Matthew. But elsewhere we see, too, that we are baptized into the name of Jesus. And then we gather together on Sundays. When we gather, we are gathering in Jesus' name. We are assembling under his name. And in that sense in which we are called by his name, we are Christians, his name applies to us. It means that we also, we find our identity through faith in him. We find our salvation through faith in him. We are baptized into his death and resurrection, and we, um, we align ourselves with him. We are united with him. We give him our allegiance, and we take our very identity from him. And our identity is not just an individual identity as we are baptized in him, but it's a corporate identity. We together are in Jesus' name when we gather together here, when we gather in worship. And the, the, all throughout the New Testament, you'll see that not only are we called by his name, are we, do we believe in his name, are we saved by his name, but Jesus goes on to say that for all those who believe in his name, we would also experience suffering and persecution because of his name. That there are privileges to being called by Jesus' name. There are also sufferings and things we would rather not experience. And you'll see that <clears throat> very often the letters to the epistles, the writers of the letters to the epistles will um, encourage people to continue to be called by the name, even though they might experience suffering and persecution because of it. They'll encourage them, especially the uh, writer of the letter to the Hebrews says, push on, persevere because of the name. Believe in the name. Allow yourself to be identified with the name of Jesus, even though you might experience persecution or suffering because of it. So there's this sense in which his name is applied to us as Christians. We are called by his name. We are also, um, throughout the New Testament, you see that Christians act in Jesus' name. We, um, we pray in Jesus' name. And it says, as Paul says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Um, Luke says in his gospel, at the very end, he says that the gospel will go out. And he, he explains in one phrase what the content of that gospel is. It's so beautiful. In Luke 24, he says that um, repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in Jesus' name to all the nations. So there's that sense in which salvation and forgiveness are so tied to the name of Jesus. And then we see also that Paul, in Acts, he preaches in the name of Jesus. All of this in the name of Jesus. Jesus himself tells his disciples 
to pray in the name of Jesus. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. And that's from John 16. There in the upper room, as Jesus is spending time with his disciples on the night before his death, he says at least three times, pray in my name, ask the Father in my name. And there's this sense in which there is power in the name of Jesus. We'll go on to look at that. There's also this sense not just of praying and petitioning, but of giving thanks because of the name of Jesus Christ. As um, Paul says in Ephesians, give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see all throughout also in the Acts of the Apostles, as the Apostles are getting their feet wet, as they are empowered by the Holy Spirit after Pentecost, they start doing miraculous deeds in Jesus' name. They um, say, someone, say to someone, in Jesus' name, be healed. And lo, miracle of miracles, the person is healed. So all of this to say, well, Deborah, why are you reading this biblical dictionary of what Jesus' name has to do with being a Christian? Well, it's because within the very, we might think about Jesus' name and we talk about it as though... Um, there's power in it, and it's because there is power in it. So the question is, why is there power in Jesus' name? Why are we called by Jesus' name, and why do we act as Christians in Jesus' name? Is it because there's some kind of magical property to Jesus' name, that you just say this name and everything will happen as you want it? Is it magic? Is it a kind of magical incantation? What's interesting is in the ancient days, they used to, um, do that with their gods. The, the ancient Greeks and the ancient Romans would call upon the name of their god and expect and demand that that god would show up and do whatever they wanted. There was this sense of um, of manipulation of this for that. Well, I call, I did it right. I called on the name of the god. Now he has to show up. And there is none of this with the name of Yahweh. None of this with the name of Jesus. There's no manipulating Jesus because of his name to do what we want. So that praying and acting in Jesus' name means praying according to his will, according to his purposes, and according to his character. And so all of this to say that anything in Jesus' name, anywhere in the New Testament where it says Jesus' name, I would suggest to you, that this is, in fact, a kind of theological shorthand. That it is, in some ways, um, like writing a few letters. And by writing the few letters, what we mean when we write or say those few letters of Jesus' name, we are talking about um, the whole of who Jesus is as fully human and fully divine, that God and man united in one being, that mystery of the two natures and the one person, that Jesus, in Jesus, the fullness of the Godhead resides. We, we mean that he is the son of God. We mean that he came, that he was born as a little baby in Bethlehem, that he lived and taught, that he showed us who God is and what God is like, and then he showed us most saliently what God's character is like by going to the cross and by dying on that tree 
outside of Jerusalem. And that there, that there, um, our salvation was accomplished. And so when we say the name of Jesus, we mean all of that and more. We mean not just his death, but also his resurrection and then his ascension and his exaltation to the right hand of the Father. And so I would say that the name of Jesus embraces the whole content of the saving acts revealed to us through Jesus Christ from God. And so that in this name, we find the ground for hope, the ground for forgiveness, for thanksgiving, for healing, for petition, and above all else, for worship. The name of Jesus has power, not because of any kind of magic, but because when we say Jesus, we mean everything that God has done for us and continues to do for us through the gracious gift of his son. So my, um, a little thing about names, my brother, I am not a big fan. Don't brace yourself. My brother's not a big fan of tattoos. Oh, she's going there, but, um, or no, I'm not a big fan of tattoos, but my brother has a tattoo and I got his permission to talk about his tattoo publicly. Don't worry. But, um, that sort of mortifies me to even think about it. But, he, when he was in seminary and kind of a hipster Christian in his 20s, he did what all hipster Christians do, and that is that he got a tattoo. And, um, and it was a Christian tattoo. And it was before in seminary he had learned the Hebrew language. You have to learn Hebrew and Greek. And he had already, he knew Greek, but he hadn't yet learned Hebrew. So his friend, he, he asked his friend to write out for him what the Hebrew letters would be to say by the grace of the name which is, uh, I don't speak Hebrew, but Bahased Bashem. So Hesed. Do you hear Hesed? Do you know that word in the Hebrew, that that word Hesed is that word for God's covenant faithfulness, his steadfastness of love that we experience as grace, that he is graciously giving to us, not what we deserve, but what um, he wants for us in order to bring us into relationship with him, that he is upholding not only his own end of the covenant, the covenant he made with Abraham, then that he also upholds our end as well. That's that sign of his covenant faithfulness. Well, of course, my brother got this friend to write out the Hebrew letters of Bahasad. Where's, where's Mark Janelant when you need him? Bahasad, Bashem. And he, he got it tattooed on his shoulder. And of course, as his little sister, my, my other sisters, joined me in teasing him um, that he had kick me written on his back. <laughs> I think of that, though, and I think what a wonderful shorthand. Uh, what a wonderful, tangible way to remember that when we say Jesus' name, when we say even the name of Yahweh, when we associate those names with ourselves as believers, we have those names marked on our very hearts, that we are called by those names, that he extends his name to us as a sign of our belonging to him. Extending the name over something in the ancient days was like um, saying, this belongs to me. When someone bought a field, they would go out into the field and say their name over the field. And so when we say God's name over our own selves, we're saying we belong to God. And we belong to God because 
of what he has done for us in Jesus. And so his name, just like the name of Yahweh, is a shorthand for all of his wonderful and merciful acts on our behalf. And so when I think about Jesus' name, I go, of course, to Philippians 2, which is that great passage um, that Paul wrote. It is like a hymn, and he is telling the Philippians to have this mind among themselves. And then he goes on to describe what this mind is like. And the mind is the very mind of Jesus Christ. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Thanks be to God. I I get the clemped when I read that passage. And you have to understand, if you think, oh, she's getting a little bit clemped, it's not because I feel sad or anything. It's because it's true. Truth makes me weak in the knees. So if you ever see me up here having trouble, you'll know it's because she's moved by it, because it is true. This I love because it shows that mind within Jesus Christ, that humility, that he, though equal with God, though God himself gave up everything to be born as a baby in Bethlehem, and then he humbled himself even further by going to the cross. And in that downward Side of this picture that is like a, a big U, a giant parabola. Jesus there dies on the cross. And then from that moment on, God raises him from the dead. And he is raised to new life, to that resurrection life. And we ourselves, through faith in him, we're forgiven of our sins. And we too will one day rise from the dead um, because his name is our name. And we will join him. And he is there now at the right hand of the Father. And he is exalted. And so we see in this hymn of St. Paul, we see this wonderful picture of the future. You know, we've talked about the past. We've talked about God revealing himself as Yahweh through the burning bush. We've talked about the historical past. You know, Jesus' name being given to Mary and Joseph. And that past where those first disciples we're able to do wonderful, mighty, miraculous works in Jesus' name. And even to our present, to today, this day, where those who believe in him, we are called by his name. We believe in his name. We believe in him and what it is that he's done for us. Um, but then we also, in this passage, what's so marvelous about this is that here we see the future. That though there are su- there's, there appears to be evil um, there is evil in our world there's suffering everywhere and it seems as though jesus is not lord that god is not in control and we wonder where are you lord when are you coming back uh what is going on are you really lord and god of all well i look to this passage with hope and faith for the future and here you see that um the name that god gives to jesus 
is not, yes, he's already given him the name Jesus. Yahweh saves. We talked about that. But the name that is given here is the name Lord. Jesus is Lord. And remember from last week, I talked about Lord. Lord itself was the very Greek translation and the the very pious way of saying Yahweh for the religious Jew. Because when they read the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, they could not say the name of Yahweh, those four letters, because they believed that it was blasphemous to say it. And then they no longer wrote it. And in their manuscripts, they would write Lord instead. And so when the Hebrew scriptures were translated into Greek, it became the same word for Lord that we use and that they use in um, the, the Greek New Testament scriptures to talk about Jesus. And it was that first confession of Christians everywhere to say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is equal with the Lord over all creation. Jesus is sovereign. Jesus is divine. Jesus is the Son of God. And so we see that in the future, now Jesus has the name of Lord. We call him our Lord Jesus Christ. We see that he is sovereign. We believe that he is sovereign, even when it feels like the world is crumbling around us. But we can look to this passage and to our scriptures knowing that one day, every single human being that has ever existed will bend the knee and call Jesus Lord. One day, what we see now in faith will be revealed for all to see. And all will look to Jesus, that slain lamb, the crucified and risen one, and say, as St. Thomas said when he saw Jesus' hands and his side, remember in the upper room, he said, I'll never believe unless I put my finger in his hands and my hand in his side. And there Jesus said, Jesus appeared, and when Jesus was there in the flesh, you never hear John saying, then he went and put his finger in his hand and his hand in his side. No, it was enough. Just seeing him, and I always picture Thomas falling down. Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And that is our proclamation. My Lord and my God. And we know that one day, all others, Everyone else will say the same thing and will say, my Lord and my God. And so for that reason, this is one of my absolute most favorite ever hymns. And it's by Caroline Knoll. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess him king of glory now. Tis the Father's pleasure we should call him Lord, who from the beginning was the mighty word. Humbled for a season to receive a name from the lips of sinners unto whom he came. Faithfully he bore it, spotless to the last, brought it back victorious when from death he passed. Bore it up triumphant with its human light through all ranks of creatures to the central height, to the throne of Godhead, to the Father's breast, filled it with the glory of that perfect rest. And so we say, name him. Brothers, brothers and sisters, name him with love strong as death, but with awe and wonder and with bated breath. He is God the Savior. He is Christ the Lord, ever to be worshipped, trusted, and adored. Let's pray. 
Oh, thank you, Lord God, for revealing yourself to us most perfectly, most clearly in Jesus, in his life, in his death, in the signs of his death, those wounded hands, that wounded side, and in his resurrection. Thank you, Lord, that the crucified one is Lord over all, that you have raised him up, and that with him you have raised us up too, raised us out of sin, even though we struggle still, raised us from death, even though we will die, yet we know through faith that we will live again, and we will stand one day and, and say to Jesus, face to face, my Lord and my God. And so for this we say to you, Lord Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen. We have a few minutes for questions. If, there's no David Hammer. I don't want to say it on the recording. Mike. I have a question. Um, in Acts chapter 4, uh, I think Peter said there's no other name under heaven by which man may be saved. Yes. And um, my concern is, I don't, you know, it's it's not our job to criticize or judge other religions, but at the same time, we do not have to minimize the person of Jesus. I know. A- absolutely. Thank you so much. There is so often in the public forum, and you'll see in every single interfaith gathering, which people sometimes call ecumenical. Ecumenical is between Christians. Interfaith is Christians and non-Christians, Christians and Muslims, Christians and Jews. There's this sense in which, okay, well, we're going to ask, the Jewish people not to talk about their chosenness because that will make so-and-so mad. We'll talk, we won't talk about Jesus, and they won't talk about this because it's going to make everyone mad and we need to just play nice. And it, you know what? There's power in the name of Jesus. And I think the fact that we have to cross out the name of Jesus to be able to interface with other religions. Yes, we want to be polite. We want to be respectful. Um, we want to honor them and, and love them. But we don't need to, we can't cross out who we are in order to do that. And it is so true that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And his name is the only name under heaven. Thank you, Mike. Anyone else? Yeah, Trisha. If you'll just clarify, last week you said uh, there was a difference between Lord uh, with a capital L and lowercase and all caps. Yes, thank you. There was, um, I could find my slide if you want, but there's, there is a difference, and the difference is in the translation. It's up to the translators to decide how are they going to represent the Hebrew. But the ESV, which is my favorite translation right now, that sometimes changes, but in my favorite translation, what they do is wherever it says in um, in the Hebrew, Lord as in Adonai, which is the name for Lord and signifies God's sovereignty. And it was an actual name for God that was used by the Hebrew people. Wherever it says Lord, it's Lord with an L and then a lowercase O-R-D. But then wherever we think that Yahweh, the name of God, um, the name that he has revealed to us, um, that I am, that I am, wherever that is found in the text, they crossed it out. Or in the English, what they do is they represent it with capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That, does that help, Tricia? Does that make sense? So there are two different Hebrew words for what's signified there. 
I don't. I haven't seen the Hebrew manuscripts, so I'm not Hebrew. sure how they know which is which because sometimes they cross out Yahweh and put Adonai. Okay. Anyone else? All right. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thank you.